Hi there, and welcome to the Scale uh, podcast for Modern Media. My name is Stuart Ritchie. Uh, I am the founder and lead developer at Powered by Coffee. Powered by Coffee is a specialist web and software developer for publishers working with open source. Scale is a podcast about media and technology, how technology impacts media, how media is impacted by technology in return. Our guest today is Steve Birch the founder of Publish Press, a WordPress plugin business focused on tools and solutions for publishers. Um, Steve, I'm going to hand over to you and tell us more, more about yourself and, and more about Publish Press. Hey, thanks, Jude. You know, we run Publish Press. It's an amalgamation of publishing and WordPress. We figure that the WordPress is probably the most popular publishing platform out there. And so we build tools to help publishers, whether that's an old-fashioned newspaper, whether it's a new journalism startup, or often companies, universities are big users too. They have to publish a lot of content. Really anyone that wants to do more than just hit the publish button, people that need to collaborate, have teams, have a workflow processes for their content. So we're very WordPress-focused, and we're very focused on publishers. Great. I mean... Tell me more more about your own background. How did you end up doing this kind of work? I, I'm I'm British. I moved to the US maybe 20 years or so ago, and sure. worked as a a teacher for a little bit. And then when my kids came along, I I wasn't able to make enough money as a teacher, and so looked around for an alternative career, and kind of ended up parlaying my teaching skills into the open source world, which I'd been dabbling in, and ended up building a kind of a teaching and training company on open source. It was called Open Source Training. And mm-hmm. we published a lot of content. We ended up as a building a little publisher of books. We have a, ooh, I think, a 15, 16 different self-published books in the end. Oh, wow. We, we kind of learned our trade working with Pearson, the... Sure the multinational famous publisher that everyone knows. But uh, it was onerous and difficult to work with them. And we had a lot more success when we ended up writing them a check. (laughs) We probably wrote them a bigger check than they ever wrote us and buying our books back and going the self-publishing route. And so that kind of was our first foray into the publishing world. We did some local journalism where we were based just north of Atlanta in Georgia. Mm -hmm. And we ended up kind of using WordPress for not not only to write our books and also for our local journalism sites. Yeah, for our whole kind of the publishing business we're building, we started to see some of the flaws and missing pieces in WordPress and worked with a couple of developers to, to build software to fill those missing pieces and mm-hmm. our business has kind of evolved on the back of those. So having been a publisher, we ended up selling off the publishing business and focusing on the actual publishing software full-time. Wow, okay. So it really came from noticing the own, your own kind of problems and kind of things that were, were coming up and go, kind of going out of your way to, to fix them for yourself. Always, always the best way. You really know what, what the issue is there to, to get in and fix it, I feel. Yeah, we were scratching our own itch. And also, 
some of the training customers. Yeah. We ended up doing a lot of training work for universities. They would they would bring us in to train their staff and we would see a lot of their problems if they would have a big a big WordPress site that was publishing a ton of ton of content. They would end up with confusion across staff members. The wrong thing would get published at the wrong time. And we definitely saw a lot of a lot of ways in which WordPress could be better. So many people are relying on WordPress for their publishing. There are in ways ways in which it can be made better. Absolutely. Which because PubTrust has like a huge stable of plugins, so which is kind of like would you say is kind of the most, I suppose the most popular. Not because this is where our overall topic is, but I'm just interested being a WordPress guy. But also, which one is the most useful for kind of for most people if they wanted to go and check check them out to get started? Our two most popular ones are one called Future, which <laughs> we gave a a kind of a Back to the Future logo to. If you go to the WordPress directory to find it, you'll find like a, a kind of a homage to, to Back to the Future flying car and, and right. so on. And basically, it fills a super basic need that's always been missing in WordPress. In fact, what Publish Press Future does is so basic that I often will wake up in a cold sweat and think the WordPress core is going to do this. It simply allows you to set an unpublishing date for content in the future. So if this... Your content is Christmas or New Year specific. You can yeah. set an unpublishing date the day after Christmas or the day after the New Year. And it does some more right. sophisticated things than that now. For example, yeah. you can set it to add or remove a category or change the publishing status. But at its core, it just allows you to unpublish content on a future date. So that's probably our most popular plugin. And cool. And the other one is a plugin called Capabilities that basically allows you to lock down the admin area and say, this person can edit posts. This person cannot edit published posts and sure. and do other kind of fairly standard user configuration lockdown settings. Yeah. Okay, cool. And I imagine that's kind of built on top of like the internal WordPress capability system to, yeah. Ah, oh, cool. Yeah. Those are both really interesting. We've definitely built future unpublish as a feature ourselves kind of into sites. It's one of those ones where I'm like, yeah, why isn't this in core? <laughs> I hope it never then, Yeah. And honestly, I think you're probably pretty safe that it won't. Because one of the things we find with it is that the question is not how do you unpublish a thing? Because that's like really straightforward. It's what happens when you after you unpublish that thing. So any links that are in that content going to that piece, like what happens to them? Do they 404? Do they redirect to something? And I think every business and every publisher is going to have a different way of doing that. So I think it's kind of one of those ones where it's like, we'll just leave it to people to make their own decisions. Yeah, that's part of the extra layer we put on top. But that, that's probably a good example of the foundation of Publish Press was that we saw quite a few of these little basic holes in, yeah. in what WordPress does because it's... WordPress is designed to be a fairly lightweight platform and we aim to to fill quite a few of those holes. Another popular plugin we have is called Publish Press Authors and it just allows you to have more than one author for a piece of content because by default, yeah. WordPress is pretty tightly configured for having one single author. So a lot of what we do is talking to publishers and they tell us it would be really nice if WordPress had just X basic feature and Mm -hmm. We 
build plugins to add those basic features. Awesome. Well, stepping aside from WordPress, because as much as I could talk about it all day, it's not, we're not uh, going to be a super technical podcast here, but what I thought was really interesting from some conversations we've had recently is some of the local news startups that you've kind of seen popping up in your neck of the words, um, particularly as someone who, you know, from what you said earlier, had been running a local publisher or a local community journalistic endeavor kind of there's always so many different ways of describing these so i think there may be like a difference kind of in the us and the uk and the rest of our audience about how local news is kind of handled so i'd love to know like what's your what's your take on it like how do you define it and about some of these companies you've sort of seen cropping up tell me about them sure so this is early days if feels yeah it's almost like um trying to talk about and bear some kind of a witness to something which is fragile, something that is still in the process of emerging. But we do talk with a lot of publishers. Our software is designed to help publishers. And I'm also going to talk very specifically about the US context because I'm just not – our customer base is very US-centric. And a lot of these organizations that I'm going to mention are U.S.-specific. So apologies to people that might have experience of this in other countries. But we are seeing, despite all the doom and gloom about publishing in general, I mean, even now you see in the last month or so, we've seen, I think, Vice Media about to file for bankruptcy. We've seen BuzzFeed News close. I'm probably missing some other massive news closures. and Those are the two that certainly are making their rounds kind of in my sphere of, in, of interest, like BuzzFeed News closing and Vice. Vice on its way to bankruptcy if it hasn't already declared. Yeah. And those are just kind of the ones in the last few weeks after years of kind of pessimism and and decline of, local news you see some occasional success stories i I think after years of struggling some organizations like the new york times have have made the leap successfully to to being a mostly online journalism organization i think new york times is pretty close to having more than half of its revenue from online now and every year it goes up but the general feeling is pessimism sure but what we're seeing is a slow flowering of something new. Some, I'm, I'm struggling to describe it often when, when people ask me about it. But there are small local startups popping up around the U.S. And mm-hmm. I'd probably define them in, with three specific elements. One is that they are very community-driven. They try to build a community around what they're writing, around the people who are engaged with them. This isn't clickbait. These are organizations that probably opposite from Vice and opposite from BuzzFeed, they're running very hard in the opposite direction to say, we are going to lean into having a thousand true fans to get started. We are having a very specific audience that we are going to cultivate 
And if we can get 10 bucks a month from those 1,000 true fans, then we're off the ground and, and we're moving. And in addition, or kind of complementing this focus on community is a real focus on a particular topic that okay. a lot of these organizations say, hey, we are going to cover local government in the capital of Missouri, or we are going to cover politics in Florida with a real focus on what's happening in the the state house in, in Florida government, or they might be picking on mental topics in in Canada, perhaps, or yeah. or perhaps African American the African American community in New Orleans or Chicago. So those clickbait, very broad topic failures, I guess we can call them now, like BuzzFeed or or Vice or oh Quartz. That was the other one that was on my mind as a a, a broad interest publisher that is really struggling these days. Right. That these new startups are focusing very hard on a very clearly defined mission. So even as opposed to local newspapers, the local newspaper in the old days would cover the high school sports, they would cover the obituaries, they would cover the local government, they would cover the local schools, they would cover everything. These new startups are, are more tightly defined. So they're not a a one-to-one replacement for the old newspapers. Yeah. So they're very they're they're very focused on on building a relationship with their readers. They're very tightly yeah. focused. I think for people that haven't seen any of these, comparing them to uh, comparing them to Substacks is not sure. It's not entirely unreasonable because your average yeah. Substack is written by often one or two people on. And for just about every Substack, you can probably say this is their topic. This is what yeah. they write about. And they're very newsletter-driven because newsletters are a good way to build community. A lot of these startups are very newsletter-driven as well. The way that they, they differ in some ways from Substacks is that perhaps they, they will tend to have a few more employees and maybe they will have a slightly broader range of revenue. They will go for subscription revenue, but they will mix it in often with advertising, selling merchandise. And then they're not sure. afraid to ask for donations as well from some of the big foundations yeah. out there that are supporting news. Great. So very community-driven, very tightly focused, and very scrappy in terms of looking for revenue. So they're not entirely AdSense driven or not entirely often subscription driven because maybe the subscription base isn't big enough yet. Yeah. Um, and it's working. So they've, there are, there's a good number of these startups that we see in every state that are yeah. emerging in the last two years probably, which is why it's kind of hard to describe this because a lot of these are getting off the ground and have really only launched in the last two or three years. Yeah. So there's, I suppose then it's a really interesting space because I'm from like a general business perspective. I like people who work with niches. So they're like, we don't do everything for everyone. It's yep. like we do one really specific thing for one really specific group of people. And they've almost, 
double niched. They're like, <laughs> we work in this particular area of interest for this particular geography. Yeah. So I suppose like one off the top of my head might be like foodies in Georgia or foodies in Atlanta. And you might have multiple versions of that people running it on their own. Sorry, what's the words I'm looking for? Their own versions of that for multiple, multiple different locations, just because of their own geography and who they can serve and who they can write authentic content for inside of inside of their geography. I think it's really interesting, honestly. And then I imagine too, because they are so specialized that whenever they do go out kind of beyond their normal, like direct relationship for finance and revenue, they're like, yeah, here are six or seven funding bodies that are interested in the problem you are solving in your area, have at it. Or the content itself is so valuable to the readers that it makes like, it's no it's a no-brainer to to pick up that subscription and support it to keep it keep it going is that about sum up how they do yes it the 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 ones that we come across are maybe in in our work maybe a little more serious they tend to be more politically culturally environmentally driven but i know people in say the the food space there's an agency that we do work with who have hoovered up hundreds of food blogs and these people are making a a very good living for often two or three yeah. people doing exactly what you described, aiming at, say, food lovers in Georgia, food lovers in Atlanta, mm-hmm. food lovers in LA. It's it's a it's a viable niche if you can get a, a few thousand people who love the content you're putting out. Absolutely, I want yeah. I just use food as kind of a a safe example there, but I can definitely think of a few. I'm going to say similar-ish publications in, in the UK. So maybe it's not as different as we thought, but certainly more kind of your your left-leaning publications that are like two or three groups covering politics in their local area. Really scrappy, really trying to work hard to get out there and get get their audience. But I wonder, I mean, particularly within political and social social justice and kind of social issues coverage, that's like an incredibly difficult area to work within, I feel, because you are really beholden. And we did an episode a couple of months back with the Independent Media Association, and this was a lot of their kind of concern is like, we they don't feel like they have a fair shake because the platforms are optimizing for outrage. So they can't, they really struggle to get their content out there because they've been told, I have to do everything through Facebook. It's where the people are. I have to do everything through Twitter, you have to do everything through Instagram to meet your audience where they are, but you can get no traction because they're trying to report honestly rather than trying to generate fear. And have do you have any kind of take on that? Are you seeing them kind of do anything interesting? How are they building building those those small audiences to get to their thousand true fans? They they publish a lot less. You're looking at organizations that publish maybe two, maybe three times a day. They yeah try to publish real value rather than chasing that traffic. I mean, it's not as a a WordPress publisher, that's not to say that there aren't uh, hundreds, thousands, tens of thousands of people 100% going after that traffic still. Mm -hmm. That is not interesting to me personally. (laughs) As As someone that tries to care about making an impact that there are those people chasing the 
the Facebook traffic, chasing the outrage cycle. There are people that are, I mean, almost every week you will come across a, often a WordPress powered network of blogs and fake news sites doing, doing astroturfing. There was one that was discovered in, in Florida, like two, three weeks ago, where really it was a bunch of fake news websites that were financed by the local power company. And they were, wow. they were so obtuseously putting <laughs> money. These were kind of pl- politics slash news fake websites yeah. who were trying to push the power company's agenda in the in local and state government. Yeah, And there's always those. You, you just have to try to push past them and try and help the organizations that are trying to to yeah. add more value to yeah. contribute to their communities. And yeah. they do it by, I think, often being kind of newsletter-driven, that if they can put one or two really valuable items in your inbox every day, it's a slower news cycle, but people are going to want to pay for that. Absolutely. And is that how you're kind of seeing people mostly interact with these groups as, as newsletter-driven? Yeah, very much so. I mean, we've talked very generally. I'll, I'll try and pick a, a couple of examples. Oh, that'd be great. There's one, there's one up in Canada that I always admire the output they put out. It's called the Narwhal. After the the unicorn yeah. of the sea, they got the... <laughs> I've got two daughters, and they, when they were when they were babies, they loved narwhals. So it's the narwhal.ca, and they focus sure. on environmental journalism in sure. in Canada. And I think their membership base is in in the single thousands. And once or twice a week, they will put out a newsletter with an incredibly detailed story with a real point of view trying to trying to move the ball forward on protecting an aspect of life in Canada often they'll they'll have gone out on a reporting mission into one of the the lands I think of the first nations in Canada they come back with these long detailed reports beautiful photos their wordpress site yeah. is really a work of art and yeah. Once or twice a week, these stories drop in the newsletter, and that's more than enough for people to contribute and buy their merchandise and find their work valuable. They're not chasing that Facebook traffic; they're chasing a more a slower cycle, a more organic word of mouth. Hey, I got the newsletter. This is something you should read. Let's share the newsletter. Yeah. Get other people on board. Just took the chance to look at look it up while you were talking about it, and you know everything you said is right. It's actually a very, very beautiful, very thoughtful site. I like it a lot. You can definitely see that they're focusing on that newsletter. It wasn't long after this had loaded, it had a, a a modal CTA call up to to get me in into that. But yeah, I can definitely see see what what they're up to. And like you say, really low low publishing volume. I can see kind of two or three posts a day. Most, but most days are, are just one. But it's awesome to see such explicitly mission-driven publishing out there with a real point of view beyond beyond outrage. I really like it. How much is a membership to to the Narwhal? Oh, pay what you like from 
yeah, 15 bucks a month. That's you, awesome. Yeah, it's one of those situations where the more you donate, the more they'll send you a a free hat or <laughs> a free bag or something like that. Yeah. There's a, a, I'd say a lot of the, the reason that things like this have been able to grow over the last couple of years is that a lot of the basic infrastructure that's needed has started to come into place. For example, there's a, a couple of states over from us in Louisiana. There's a network of sites, Verite, Mississippi Today, I think, that are doing really good local news work in Louisiana. And they've been relying on Newspack from Automatic, kind of the mm-hmm. the big company that drives a lot of what happens in WordPress. And a lot of these startup or a lot of these actually a lot of quite a lot of these have been around 40 50 years there are existing newspapers trying to make the jump to the online world a lot of them don't have the technical savvy they don't have the developers on staff they don't have the technical chops but yeah companies like newspack have been providing that for them they say hey you have a legacy cms it's really hampering your work. It's really making it difficult for you to publish content regularly and turn it into newsletters. Yeah, They migrated it to WordPress. They put it on good hosting with good support. It's a few hundred, maybe a couple of thousand dollars a month for the, the hosting and support. And suddenly the technical side is taken away as a challenge and these yeah. organizations can focus on growing. Yeah. And also in terms of, Grouping together, we've seen a bunch of organizations. A big one is the Institute for Nonprofit News, INN, which has it's been building a really quite successful network of of local news sites, local news startups. I think Canada has one whose name I forget that tries to bring all of these startups together to network and learn from each other. Yeah. There's more. There's more funding. There's a, an organization called Statehouse News, which is based sure. trying to put WordPress-based. I think maybe one is on Squarespace, but 99% WordPress. Trying to put publishers into all 50 state government capitals in the U.S. to have reporters on the ground because some of them, some of these smaller states had really lost all their local news. So no one was really reporting on what was going on in, say, the capital of North Dakota or or the, the capital of Kentucky. Yeah. There's, there's places where a lot of important legislation happens and where, to be honest, quite often a lot of corruption happens too. Yeah. So between solutions popping up to solve the technical side of things and then also organizations popping up to to link these startups together we're starting to see that a lot of the foundational problems are being taken away and these organizations are free to to try and refine their business model to find their audience to to grow and really two years ago none mm-hmm. of that was happening inn the institute for news for uh, nonprofit news was much smaller Newspack from Automatic was really just getting started, only a handful of users. So the the kind of successes I'm 
I'm seeing a, a very new, and they, they do feel very fragile because a lot of these organizations are so new and still finding their feet. Yeah. And I suppose that's the next question from all this is that, is that fragility? So it's easier than ever to get started. In some ways, it can be even harder to stand out, but you've got you've to pay the bills. And I, I know we, we kind of touched on, on some of this, but how, how sustainable is this in, in the long term? I think we kind of, there's a few kind of different funding options that these types of sites had. So obviously you've kind of got your, your ad spend from ideally local, local businesses kind of keeping that money in the economy, direct support from your subscribers, patronage, if people are buying merch, et cetera, and, and funding from supportive bodies in, in the U S but that's the one that kind of gives me, gives me concern because those pots of money aren't, aren't unlimited. So how, and more and more things are moving to a subscription and people are very quickly becoming the subscription fatigue is the word that goes around and with the ongoing inflationary pressure that we're seeing across the world are people these feel like very easy expenses in one's life to to get away from so i mean are we are we at risk of having this like wonderful new world of micro publishers with a great point of view all of a sudden but then very suddenly the um, the business model kind of just falls falls apart like any one of those things could go and kind of take it with it does that make sense as a well oh, 100% not to be a diner <laughs> no no i mean that's there's absolutely 100% the key problem i mean the newspapers throughout history have never been the the most stable of businesses I, we probably look back with rose tinted spectacles on the newspaper industry in the past Newspapers mm-hmm. came and went real quick, but yeah, right now it's not an easy time. Revenue is tough. These organisations are probably going to always pay their staff poorly and rely on people with a sense of mission. They're always trying to be going cap in hand, either to their readers or to foundations. They're always going to have to be trying to together the annual budget from a mix of maybe some advertising, some subscriptions, some donations from foundations, events too. We've seen some of these host sort of sort of monthly or big annual events to to try and pay the bills. It's it it's not an entirely optimistic outlook, but yeah. it is more optimistic than it was a couple of years ago. Absolutely. And I mean, if anyone listening is interested, what, what I mean, you, you're not running one of these publishers, you're on the outside, but what's the biggest way someone could make an impact into one of these startups to kind of help them be sustainable in the long term? Well, we have, I guess, in on our side of things, we're trying to help with the technology. There are quite a few people in the WordPress community that have realized that this is a, a problem and that these these publishers need affordable affordable technology solutions. We do it at Publish Press. And then real kudos to Automatic for realizing this with a news pack. They, they've realized that there was a real need for an affordable few hundred dollar a month 
solution in this space. Yeah. And if, if someone is kind of not in the business, then finding one or two of these to support would be a, a great place to start. I believe that INN, the in, mentioned the Institute for Nonprofit News a couple of times, INN.org, they have a map where you can find members. So if you're, you're in Mississippi or you're in Illinois or somewhere, you can go to your state and find member organizations that almost certainly need your support. Awesome. It just, it occurred to me as well when you said hosting events, because we've just had the Met Gala. And in its own way, the Met Gala is one of these, just on a massively different scale. It's producing very niche content for our group of people and is running various funding events, both from like public pots, patronage and running events to get it. So the Met is basically a indie publisher with a huge building. (laughs) They get some good free advertising with the dresses and so on. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. They've done a great job. Awesome. Steve, thank you very much for your time today. I just want to keep an eye because we're, we're running on. If anyone wants to find out more about you, about Publish Press, where's a good place for them to go? We have ours up, up publishing plugins at publishpress.com. And uh-huh. also we've been blogging and sharing examples of some of these publishers at a blog, Kinship Press. So Kinship okay. Press. It's basically we, when we did sure. publish press, we merged publish and press, and for this blog we merged kinship, as in kind of like building a kinship with your readers, and community and community yeah. and press. So kinshippress.com. Correct. Kinshippress.com. Anywhere on Twitter, social media, or are you best trying to avoid? <laughs> I I do post occasionally Steve J Burge on Twitter. Maybe like one of those really those really good indie publishers we've been talking about i will try and publish like one or two good tweets a week great yeah um, it's a good volume not very high volume at all great again thank you so much for your time today and maybe we'll have you on again to talk about publish press when we get around to doing a more a more developer tooling specific episode someday if you're keen awesome thank you Stuart. no problem glad to have you so to everyone listening, thank you very much for, for making it this far through. If you like the show, I would love it if you could leave us a review wherever you got it. iTunes, Google, I suppose it's the Play Podcast Store. I'm not entirely sure. Uh, so leave us a review, pass it on, make sure and you are subscribed. And if you would also follow us on social media, that would be great. There is going to be a link tree with all the different places you can follow the Skill Podcast and myself. Um, you can follow me on Twitter at, at Stuart Ritchie, or if you prefer Mastodon and the activity pub, I am at Stuart at Ritchie dot social. Again, the law be linked below. Thanks very much for listening and speak to you again soon. Goodbye.